Counting monsters. Uh-oh. Wow. That wasn't supposed to happen, guys. I wow. have no idea what happened there, but we are recording. And do you know what time it is? It's uh, uh, oh. <laughs> Tuesday afternoon, and it's 3.30, and it's time for What in the World with Paul Seaburn and his sidekick, John Donalo. And for some reason, Zoom just zoomed us in. Amazing. Amazing. That's a good we, sign. Must, it's, yeah, it's, it's like... It's a good you paid your bill, right? Is that it? Yeah, it no. must have because Zoom accepted <laughs> us. So hey, here you go. The Zoom bill you got always got to pay the Zoom bill first. You know, yep. before you pay the gas or the electricity, you pay the Zoom bill. Otherwise, you can't get one in the world with me, Paul Seaburn, your host. Hey, everybody, uh, thank you for listening to our podcast or watching it on um, YouTube. If you're watching it, uh, that's great. If you're watching it live, well, cool. Three thirty in the afternoon, two thirty Central Time sometime Pacific time, taking the time out of your day to watch what in the world. I think that's great. You're my favorite person if you're listening, if you're watching us that way. Um, uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, if you're listening to us in the future uh, on Zoom or on, uh, what, what what are we on? We're on all the podcast platforms. YouTube. And that. Yeah, yeah. YouTube and Apple and all that stuff. So I'm Paul Siebert. I'm your host um, of What in the World. I am also the editor and head writer at MysteriousUniverse.org where I, I do all kind of weird paranormal stuff. And what in the world, for those of you who haven't been here before, we like to do fun news items that you don't hear anywhere else. Our motto is real news, sometimes strange, always funny. Uh, and when I say we, I'm referring to first the voice that you just heard a little while ago, Karen Hale, the uh, media mogul at newclevelandradio.net, which is our platform, our producer, and our co-host. So hi, Karen. How are you today? Oh, I'm wonderful. Yes, you're, you're looking great, as always. Um, then we've got, <laughs> at the other end of the spectrum, we've got our other co-host here. <laughs> hey, I don't, that's old a left-handed compliment. My old, <laughs> don't worry, John, I'll compliment you later. Don't worry about it. That, that voice is John Danalo, our host of What in the World of Sports, trivia mogul, um, all-around good guy. Hey, John, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Paul and Karen. It's uh, Tuesday, we're in Cleveland, and... Uh... You know, it's good. It's a good day. Yeah. John is being a mushroom. He's hiding in the dark because his favorite team, the Cleveland Cavaliers, had had two atrocious uh, games this past weekend. So I, I don't blame you, John. You know, I would do the same thing. Uh, hopefully, you know, the, the Cleveland Cavaliers are one of the few teams that have come back from a three and one deficit. So who knows? Hope springs we eternal. Let's leave <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, uh, and other than that, that's the end of talking about local Cleveland sports teams right now. So let's, <laughs> let's get right to it with uh, what's been, what are, all the kind of weird things is going on. Here's a little teaser for you. What are we talking about today? Oh, 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 oh! This is our first story coming up. Seagull screaming. There's a seagull screaming championship in uh, Belgium. Belgium? Yeah, Belgium. That's what it says here. Uh, Bigfoot sanctuary in um, Washington State just opened up. We're going to visit that. There's auto mechanics in space. We're going to find out about those. Parrots now have cell phones. You'll find out what that, what's going on there. A trash-talking mermaid. I believe she's in Florida. We're going to visit with her. More odd news. John's got a great sport for us this week. A bunch of uh, world records. I've got some really cool world records we're going to talk about. Trivia, as always. And uh, then, of course, uh, at the end, we play everybody's favorite weird news game, Bluff the Co-Host. So, Let's get right to it with our first story. <clears throat> As I mentioned, this one comes from, yeah, it does come from Belgium. Okay, so <clears throat> this is the, <laughs> I don't want to put the photo up yet because it'll take all the attention away from the introduction here. So there's a town in Belgium called uh, Depane, and it's on the coast, which, will, which leads up to the fact that it has a lot of seagulls. And so many seagulls, and, they, and they're so beloved in this town, or at least partially beloved, that they have an annual European Seagull Screeching Championship, where a judge, three judges, not one, not two, but three judges, judge the best imitation of a seagull shriek. Now, uh, they they get they get participants from all over Europe, maybe even all over the world. They had fifty this past time, um, and 
people who are brand new, people who are veterans at, at seagulls screaming, which is hard to say. Uh, they're judged by a professional jury. They get 15, up to 15 points for how well they do on the scream. And they get five points for their behavior, how, how well they act like a seagull. So that's my intro to the photo of our first contestant here. There you go. Now, there's a guy who is certainly acting like a seagull. He is um, a, a, an overweight seagull, I might add. Uh, <laughs> uh, actually, he looks more like an eagle, doesn't he? He doesn't, yeah. doesn't look it, that, That's where he's at. He's at the Seagull Screaming Championship. Um, he, uh, I, I'm sure he got some points for dressing like that. Um, the uh, John, you know, John, this is this is a sport that you could participate in. I think you would be a great participant in seagull screaming. I have sat next to you at many games. I've listened to you sing the national anthem. You've got it down pat. You'd be perfect at this. Well, you know what? Let me find out about it. I, this is the first time I've ever heard of it. So I'd like to find out more about it. So you get points for dressing like a seagull. Um, I, you know, this guy actually invested in his um, costume. Some of the people, it looks like they were eating maple syrup on pancakes, and then they opened up a feather pillow and threw it all over themselves. Yeah, it, uh, doesn't, it doesn't look like a seagull to me because it's got I, a brown body. I know he looks like an. I I I didn't look that closely at him, uh, but it was he was part of the 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 story. So uh, okay. yeah, he does. He looks more like a yep. bald eagle from uh, from around here. Uh, here's here's one. Uh, here's here's so so these people really got into it. They they put white clothing on. They painted seagull images on their faces, um, and they're singing up a storm here. So uh, uh, that's uh, contestants number two. And then number three was the winner. This guy was 21 years old. This is the guy who covered himself with feathers, something sticky and feathers. He's got big black eyeballs on his on his forehead. Wow. And so the reason why they do this, I this is interesting. They they're trying to change the image of seagulls. They said that seagulls don't get a, the seagulls get a bad rap, which I think is true. You know, we live in Cleveland, Ohio, uh, which is on a lake. Lake Erie. And yet we have seagulls. You've seen them. John, you've seen them. Karen, you've seen them, yep, right? Absolutely. In fact, they're and, also they're also on the Cuyahoga River a lot. Okay, John. Perfect, perfect example. So we have two bodies of water, a river and a lake. What are seagulls doing there? They don't belong there. They need to go find a, a, an ocean or a sea, you know, the Sea of Galilee or someplace. Go over there. Don't bother. At least, in the, at least, an, at least an ocean. I mean, an ocean. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Sure. So, and, and 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 you know why their reputation is bad? They poop everywhere for one thing. If you're eating outside, they'll come and they'll steal your food. That's a that's a big complaint at um, mm -hmm. at resorts is they steal your food. Um, they live nowhere near the sea, obviously, if they live in Cleveland. Um, but but I've seen where they eat. And because of where they eat, I think they should be called uh, fast food garbage bin gulls. Because uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's where you see them, right? Sure. Uh, absolutely. McDonald's eating French, French fries. Okay. Yep. So, so uh, we move from Belgium to uh, Holland. Okay. So this one, this is from... Uh, the Dutch candy manufacturer, Tanis, T-A-N-I-S is the name of the company. They actually make the machines that make candy. They're not candy makers themselves. They make the machine. They just set a Guinness World Record for the world's largest gummy bear. I'm going to put a picture of it here while I, while I give you the details on it. World's largest gummy bear. This is two by two meters. So that's six, six and a half feet by six and a half feet long and wide. So it's a, almost a square. It's an orange gummy. It weighs 3,750 pounds. That's the world record. Over wow. 1,700 kilograms for our European uh, listeners. <clears throat> to get the record, <laughs> get ready for this, the gummy bear had to be hard, edible, and stay on a plate for five minutes. Now, <laughs> I, Googled, <laughs> I Googled that hard, edible um, uh, gummy and stay on a plate, and I got a really dirty movie, so I don't do that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, the it looks. Take a look at this picture. For those of you who can't see it, 
they say it's on a plate, but it actually looks like a slab in a morgue. Right. All, you know, <laughs> they all have they all have white coats on. Some of the some of the people have those white hairnets on. And the poor gummy is just laying there. It looks like a dead, a dead bear, a dead orange bear. Yeah, on it a does. Slab about to get autopsied. Um, it doesn't get any better when it with this other picture here. A little closer. This is the one of the the guys um, holding up their Guinness World Record certificate. How do uh, you eat something like that? Oh well, first you have to build the mold. That's what they did. So they know how to build the machine. They had to build this giant mold. Then they had to um, make the um, the, the the liquid that would harden so um it took them uh, it's amazing it took them a couple of weeks to over 20 people worked on this you know must be off season for gummy bear making um and they they crafted this giant mold then they poured all the stuff in to make the orange gummy bear their first attempt was unsuccessful because the bear did not harden appropriately so of course they poured some viagra in to uh <laughs> Well, whatever means possible. <laughs> I'm not sure what, the, I don't think they used Viagra, but they had to put a, a hardening agent in there. And eventually, so it had, so, so to answer your question, the first thing, Karen, is it has to be made like a real gummy. It has to contain gummy liquid, just like the real gummy. It has to maintain its shape. Um, and it's currently kept in refrigerated storage, which, I mean, it goes with that Morgue idea again. Uh, it's going to be showcased to the public at an international trade fair coming up uh, for packaging technology in Dusseldorf, that which is in Germany. <clears throat> Following that, the gummy bear has to go back to Belgium to Oosterhout. I love I love Belgian names, Oosterhout. And and in order to maintain to keep the record, they have to cut it up somehow and distribute it, eat the whole thing. So the entire thing has to be eaten in order for them to keep the world wow. record. Yeah, yeah. So um, um, the um, th that means they could get another world record for the most fillings loosened by a gummy yeah. bear. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. <laughs> so yeah, I mean they're they're, they're not the, the the best thing to chew, um, but um, so. This this bear, this three thousand seven hundred fifty pound bear, is the equivalent of eight hundred and fifty thousand standard sized gummy bears. To give you another idea of just exactly how big this gummy bear is, um, the original gummy bear was was uh, uh, created in nineteen twenty two. Little, I don't have my trivia horn anymore here. By the Haribo Company, which you can you'll still see their name on certain packages of gummy bears. Mm -hmm, uh, yes. And yeah, they were inspired by trained bears that were that, that they used to have at street festivals back in back in those days in Europe. And uh, they were marketed throughout the 19th century by Haribo. And the name of the, the bear, it was called the Dancing Bear. Uh, fruit flavored gum candy treat for, for adults and children alike. That was the big ad. In the United States, there's only, if you buy a Haribo, the actual uh, original brand, they only come in five flavors. And, and this is a quiz for, for the both of you and everybody listening out there. So I'm going to give you the flavor. You tell me what color it is. Raspberry. Raspberry would be blue. Blue. Okay, John, what do you say? Maybe red? Red. John's right. Raspberries are red. Uh, orange. This is a tough one. Karen, well, I'll give that one to you. So you Orange. Can <laughs> okay. Lemon. Yellow. Yellow. Okay. Strawberry. Now, you can't repeat colors here. Pink. Oh, that's a good guess. John, you have a guess? I was going to say pink, too. Ah, it's green. For some reason, because they can't use red. If you get a green gummy bear, it'll taste like strawberry. And yeah. pineapple, what color do you think pineapple is? Would be yellow. Uh, but we've already used yellow. Oh, then that, but oh, okay. <laughs> but those of you playing at home, the answer is colorless. If you get a if you get a gummy bear that's clear, it'll taste like pineapple if you're a big pineapple fan. Oh, uh, yeah. So I was thinking. The, the, that contest about the seagulls, they could do this with the bears, too. 
Um, <laughs> you know, get get people. You fill your mouth with gummy bears, and then you try to roar like an actual bear, and whoever sounds the <laughs> bear wins. It, it could happen. So uh, okay. So for all the Bigfoots out there who are listening to the show, you know we have a huge following in the Bigfoot world. Not just people who believe in Bigfoots, but actual Bigfoot, Sasquatch, Yeti. Um, the the one down in Australia, right, whose name I could never remember. Yow, Yowie, the Yowie. We get we get mail. Karen Karen's Karen's mailbox is always full of. Oh, it's so full! You can't believe it. <laughs> so the Bigfoot world is all excited. I'll take this gummy bear down here because I don't have a photo to go along with this one. Bigfoot world is all excited this week because um, uh, Clallam County, C L A L L A M County in Washington State, has officially been declared the um, Sasquatch protection and refuge zone in in washington state so it's a sasquatch protection and refuge zone um so this is for bigfoot who who don't feel safe at home which <laughs> they must they get that same question when they go to the doctor all the time um and if and if you're under the age of 50 you've never heard your doctor ask you that <laughs> but anyways <laughs> so um so, 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 if if you don't feel safe, Bigfoot, from uh, living at home, move to Washington to to live in Kalal County, uh, which is this, which is a refuge for uh, for Bigfoot. Any Bigfoot living in the area or visiting the for the Forks Sasquatch Day Festival uh, in May all qualify uh, uh, to be members of the sanctuary. However, they do qualify that any swamp apes from Florida do not qualify because swamp apes act like you know, Florida man, and they don't want any crazy Florida, Florida Bigfoot in, in Washington. So sorry, you know, clean up your act. Now, I wanted to read the proclamation because I thought this was great. Where it's got a it's got a bunch of whereas in it. So that's how you know it's official. Mm-hmm. Whereas <laughs> yeah. John, my legal expert, uh, confirms us here. Whereas legend citing research, investigation, and recognition by various counties in various states support the notion that Sasquatch exist and uh, with n- number one i want to stop there because i think it's nice that, that they're include they also included uh bigfoot yeti and giant hairy ape um I, I i checked with them and they also said they also include gay bigfoot lesbian and trans bigfoot so very inclusive people up there in washington state very yeah. yeah whereas another whereas if sasquatch exists it is not flourishing Given the very unusual event of being sighted, and it's likely an endangered species and subject to great harm and extinction, if it continues to be an unprotected, whereas Clallam County desires that its citizens recognize the need to protect Squasquatch. Now, therefore, also another legal term there, dear John, right? Now, therefore, we, the board of Clallam County commissioners, hereby request all citizens of Clallam County recognize this as a refuge of Sasquatch. There you go. So all set. Sure. I, you know, we could have done this in Cleveland. We we've <laughs> talked about the, at least one Bigfoot in uh, the Cuyahoga Valley National Park. If nothing else, I think they should put up a sign. You know, they should put up a Bigfoot crossing in the Cuyahoga Valley National Park. That would be a good right? idea. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you know, if you hit a Bigfoot, you you can imagine what kind of damage that's going to do to your car. Yep. So, yeah, you know, put a crosswalk up there like they have for the bikers and the hikers. Um, you know, we could do that. We could, and we could, then I could talk about that on what in the world. Okay. All right. So now we go to Carnegie Mellon, which university, which is in uh, Pittsburgh. I've got a couple of Pittsburgh stories here. So, uh, researchers at Carnegie Mellon Robotics Institute have designed a robot, an off the shelf robot, quadruped. That's the dog kind. I'll put up a picture in a second here that is nimble enough to walk on a um, balance beam like they use in the in the Olympics, in the gymnastics competition. Wow. Yeah, it's amazing. I, I, I wish I had a, uh, I don't have a video of it, but um, if you Google the robot on balance beam, you can watch this dog-like robot hmm. walk very carefully, but, but, but not slowly across this balance beam. Um, it's amazing to watch. It's a first for for a robot. The first time a robot has been able to walk across uh, a balance beam. Um, oh. 
So now they're working on a floor exercise. If it can do a floor exercise, you know, next time you go to the unemployment office, you're going to see a bunch of gymnasts standing in line because <laughs> if they can put a leotard on it, that's what they have to do. Oh, so yeah. they got to do floor exercise, balance beam, leotard yep. during the Olympics. <laughs> now, one of my favorite robots, um, and, and John, this is one of those old TV shows that, that that maybe you want to dig up out of the vault and watch when you, when you need some therapy. Um, <laughs> do you think the robot from lost in space could walk on a balance beam. You know, I'm going to say no, because he was kind of klutzy. Yeah, you know? that's what I said. I mean, he was a robot, right? But he was not, he was not like streamlined by any means. He's kind of like, no, heck no. There's a, I, I put up a picture of him for, for you youngsters who don't remember the lost in space robot. His feet are enormous. Okay. Yeah. I don't think his feet could fit on a balance beam for one thing. No, and I don't think so either. Yeah, and then those 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 arms, those slinky arms of his, terrible for balance because they were always just you know danger. Will Robinson, danger! You're just waving them all <laughs> over the place. <laughs> so I don't think I don't believe that this robot, and I don't remember. I don't think he had a name. They just called him Robot. Um, could walk Why across. Why don't you tell that he had a name? No, I uh, there was there was a movie that had a very similar robot. Called, and he was called Robbie the Robot, which, and I'm not sure which one inspired the other, but um, but no, this one, Will Robinson, you know, and then he's calling for Will Robinson, you know, little, poor little skinny Will Robinson, he's only like 10 years old on that show. If, if that robot's falling off the balance beam, Will Robinson's not going to help him. <laughs> That's true. I think, uh, yeah, exactly. All right, let's go to a mermaid. Oh, and I've got a photo. I know John likes the photo of the mermaid. I do, I do. <laughs> If I, I'm sorry, I didn't have a Bigfoot photo, so I'm making up for it with uh, the mermaid. So this girl, uh, lady, her name is Merle Levon, better known as Mermaid Merle. She lives in Florida. She calls herself the Eco Mermaid. And uh, the reason why she calls herself the Eco Mermaid is because she swims with her mermaid fins on um, and just set her fifth fifth Guinness World Record by swimming 50 kilometers, that's 30 miles, while wearing her mermaid monofin, is what those are called, around Biscayne Bay in Miami and collected trash along the way. And this photo, the photo on the right, shows her with her monokin. On the left, there she is swimming with her feet inside the fin, picking up a can looks like a, a soda can while she's swimming. And what they do is they follow her along and, and she dump throws them into the boat. So she swam 30 miles picking up garbage in Miami. Yeah. In, Why? In, because she's concerned about the environment. Yeah, uh, but you could, you know, use a, a net to do it rather than, never mind. Would we be talking about it on What in the World if she used a net, Karen? Oh, you're right. We wouldn't. <laughs> Yeah, we're all about unconvention, that's for sure. So, <laughs> excellent point, John. Excellent point. Unconventional. That's what we're saying here. Uh, biggest, she's in danger though when she's doing it because the manatees, you know, there's manatees all over the place, and the male manatees, they get, you know, they get a little love, love sick. And, you know, it's just like the, the sailors thought that manatees were actually beautiful mermaids. The manatees think that the mermaids are actually beautiful manatees. So she has to watch if there's any manatees around chasing after her. And it's tough being a mermaid these days. You may not realize this, but sure. um, <laughs> don't be so hasty, John, when you find out what the question is. <laughs> right. okay, okay. So the question is, if you're a mermaid, where do you go to the bathroom? <laughs> you know, that's just one of the mysteries of the universe. That's <laughs> a good answer. That, that's just John's new answer when he doesn't know the answer. It's one of the <laughs> mysteries of the universe. It's a good catch-all. Think of it, folks. It's a good catch-all. <laughs> well, my fear, my fear, it, it, you know, somebody's going to suggest, probably our buddy Mark down in Austin, he would say, oh, well, she goes in the toilet just like everybody else. Oh, no, not a mermaid. Toilet Toilets are like the funeral home for mermaids, you know. They they know all the goldfish go down there, you know. Dora, the, the what was that? Uh, um, you know, where in the world is Dora? I can't remember the name of the movie that she was in. She went down the the, the toilet. 
you know, she's not going to go on a toilet. Who knows what's going to happen? So I'm not going to say where I think mermaids go to the bathroom. I'll just leave it up to your imagination. All right. As much as some of you would like for me to leave, uh, what's her name again? Merle. Mermaid Merle up. I'm going to take her down here. There we go. All right. So this one comes from outer space. You know how we love, you know, we're not just what in the world, we're what in the universe is what our name should be because we occasionally have space stories. And this is a space story for you. This is about auto mechanics in space. And, and, and it just, it's the weird, it, John, it's one of those unusual stories here. So two Russian cosmonauts are doing a, <laughs> they're doing maintenance on the Russian side of the International Space Station. What kind of maintenance are they doing? They're replacing a radiator. I kid you not, they're replacing a radiator on the, the Russian side of it. You know, this thing was built, I, I, it sounds like it was a, it's an old Chevy space <laughs> capsule. <up there>. Yeah, <laughs> so they're replacing a radiator and they're talking to each other, you know, like, Boris, hand me wrench. And all of a sudden, they pick up a sound in their... Um, headset that neither one of them said and the sound is 150 irigoyen you said 150 irigoyen you said it's a question neither one of them has any idea they neither one said it they have no idea what it was so they asked nasa because they were concerned they asked, they asked nasa if nasa would trace the um uh the audio to find out what it is and they traced it to argentina in Argentina, there was a taxi cab driver who was communicating with his office to find out exactly where he was supposed to go to pick up his next fare. And somehow that signal got discombobulated and ended up in the headset of two Russian cosmonauts replacing the radiator on the International Space Station. Wow. <laughs> you can't make that up. <laughs> I, no, no, you can't make that up. It's honest to God true. What what part of that is more absurd? That a taxi connected to the International Space Station or that cosmonauts are swapping a radiator? Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yep. Yeah. Oh. You know, they're out there. They got they got wrenches, radiators, they got they got duct tape. They're just uh, having a gay old time up there. Next, the next thing I, I can see this now, the next mod, uh, Russian module going up there will be a jiffy loop so they can, you know speed up the oil change yep and then think of the poor taxi driver down in argentina he gets their message coming back from the space station you know so he's expecting them to, to, to somebody to tell them to turn down some street in buenos aires and instead this voice comes back that says tells him to look for mercury so he's thinking mercury mercury they don't make mercuries anymore no, so he said he says sends something insulting back up to to the space station, and then then they get insulted, and they said, well, you know, well, why don't you look for it in Uranus? And he says, Uranus, hey, you know. <laughs> and the next thing you know, boy, there's an international incident, and <laughs> I just Bruce, honest to God, I, I I was just so shocked by that one. Uh, okay, so there's some things in the world that you don't mess with. And usually it has to do with food on, on what in the world. So the one of the things you don't mess with in the world, in the world of food, is fortune cookies. Don't mess with the way they taste. Don't you, you dare. Fortunes, right, Karen? You can, right. Yeah. I need my good fortune. We always, we, that's right. And the lottery numbers on the back. Yep. So what did, I wonder what Confucius thinks about, uh, you know, he looks down from the, from wherever he is in the afterlife and, and all of his, his, you know, wisdom is neglected because everybody opens up their fortune cookie to get the for the lottery number on the back, uh, <laughs> and nobody ever wins. You know, you know, the, 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 nobody, you nobody, never see anybody uh, saying, "I, I won two hundred million dollars by from my fortune cookie." Never hear him say that. Right, exactly. No. So, New York-based company Open Fortune, which produces and distributed distributes fortune cookies to more than forty-seven thousand restaurants around the world. They are the Michael Jordan of fortune cookies. They recently began using, and I hate to use this word because I hate it. They've been, they're using chat GPT, that artificial intelligence that everybody's afraid of. That's, uh, you know, kids are using it to write term papers and uh, 
Companies are using it to evaluate employees. It's it's awful. It's terrible. Uh, it's going to take over the world. So now it's taking over fortune cookies. They actually are using it. And the company said that it can write fortunes at an ex exponentially faster rate than humans. And most customers can't tell the difference, which that scares me even more. A customer can't tell the difference when it's a chat GPT fortune. When the fortune says, uh, you know, it says, you will meet a short, naked stranger with gray skin, a big head, and three fingers. That's not that's not a human being. I'm sorry. That's a bad fortune. That's a that's an artificial intelligent fortune. Don't don't listen to that. And, and you know what happens? People get it. They open that fortune. They read it. And they say, "Well, yeah, you know, as long as he's got a job and he's good with kids, I'll meet him." You know what? Why not? <laughs> um, <laughs> So anyway, don't mess with fortune cookies. No artificial intelligence in fortune cookies. Okay, so we mentioned Pittsburgh before, and John John will vouch for this, like the sports fan that he is. People in Cleveland don't like Pittsburgh. There's a simple reason why. It had nothing to do with the fine people in Pittsburgh. It has to do with their sports team. Generally, one in particular whose name I'm not going to mention, sorry, Steeler girl down in Texas. Um, <laughs> oh, rat, I did it. <laughs> so here's a reason to go to Pittsburgh. And this is this is for you, John. Crafton Ingram Lanes, a bowling alley in Pittsburgh, is now hosting nude bowling. Now, I know what you're thinking. Boy, I hope what in the world has pictures of this. Sorry. <laughs> we don't want to get we don't want to get banned from YouTube and all the other platforms. I Thank don't you. you can Google it just like everybody else. Sure. Um so and and you know, I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking, you know, maybe I should go to Pittsburgh and investigate this, you know, do a feed a, a road trip, a field trip. Um, but I, you know, and I like bowling. I like bowling more than golf because you know, when I bowl, I never lose my ball. So, um, oh, that's a good one. <laughs> well, that's a, that's a good anyway, one. Anyway, yeah. so, so this is, so John, I know John's already writing all this down. For those of you who can't see, John's writing down all the directions here. So yes, John, I, it's called, uh, yes, <laughs> get ready for this. It's called Balls Out Bowling is the, is the name of the event. And it's held by the Pittsburgh Area Naturist Club. So, and, and it means very simply, everybody has to be nude or they make one um, one exception. And that is if ladies want to wear bikini bottom, they can wear bikini bottom. Otherwise, everybody has to be nude. Now, <laughs> before I go on, you know, John and I have, have lived in, in Parma, Ohio. All, John, John, you know, for many more years than I did, but we grew up in Parma, Ohio. When we were growing up, John, there were two major bowling alleys in Parma, Ohio. Uh, and I was imagining either one of those hosting nude bowling and what they would call it. Now, the I, first, what I, I don't think I could see that. I mean, I know the bowling alleys, right? But some, some <laughs> well, alley. first, one, first one, it was on State Road. It's called Tuxedo Lanes. Sure. So, of course, it would be no tuxedo lanes for nude bowling night. Um, but you're right. I couldn't see anybody, anybody, but the other one, and this is terrible. The other one, it was closer to my house and that was called red circle lanes. Now I don't want nudity and red circle in the same sentence at all. So I, I don't think that, th that those two would go together, uh, whatsoever. Well, I'm, I'm right with you on those two for sure. I'm right <laughs> with you. <laughs> and that's right. And we know a lot of people in, in Parma. I don't think we'd want to see too many people in Parma naked and bowling. <laughs> No, I, in fact, in fact, throw out the bowling. <laughs> it's, first of all, it's it's even a bad visual. <laughs> Leave it at that. Leave it at that. So, but think about it. You know, um, the Olympics used to be in the nude back when the Olympics first started in, with the Greeks. They they competed sure, naked. Yes. Um, I was thinking, you know, and, and if, just out of coincidence, I happened to turn on the TV looking for some sports this weekend, and I and I hit a bowling tournament, which I hadn't watched in years. I sat and watched it for a little while. So now I'm thinking, would would being nude help or hurt uh, your score in bowling? John, what do you think? Expert well, I, opinion. You know what? <laughs> <laughs> I think it would hurt. I think it would hurt your. I would hurt your chances. <laughs> Physically uh, or? <laughs> well, no, I mean, 
<laughs> use this to, to everyone's imagination. I mean, you're, you're <laughs> I think you're cold <laughs> when you bowl for a, a basic reason, right? Let's leave it at that. Leave it there at you that. go. Okay. Okay. Karen, yes. I'm not going to. You're gonna oh. stick to the seats in between your chin. <laughs> oh my! There you go. There it is. There there, it okay, is. Karen. Very good point, and which brings up the next point that they that they mentioned was that um, <laughs> it's BYOB, and you must wear shoes. So you have to wear bowling shoes. But you're right. You can't. You can't have anything on the seat. So you're gonna stick to the seat. The other thing is. There's no cameras or anything like that. So so you have to sit there stuck to the seat while, you know, the other bowlers are bowling. What do you yeah. do? Okay. At a bowling alley, when you have clothes on, you eat. You eat. Or now, drink. Yeah. Or yeah. Drink. drink. Eat or drink, John. So so um, my question to the nudist listening to our show is, <laughs> while you're eating, do you really need a napkin when you're nude? <laughs> <laughs> Good that's a one. thought to ponder. That's a thought to ponder, Paul. And Karen. there you go, John. I that's why I'm here to think about those things for you. Now, everybody listening is going to be wondering about that for the rest of the the the, the day. Uh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh my. So this is this this is amazing to me. I've I've owned bird, birds in my life. When when it comes to pets, I have two favorite pets. One is dogs, and the other is birds. I used to love having cockatiels. So this is a story. Uh, an international team of scientists, I think in Australia, uh, they taught home parrots, the, all different kinds of parrots, to make video calls to other parrots on cell phone. Yeah, I don't know how, I, you have to Google it to find the video. The bird rings a bell and touches an image of another parrot on the phone. And, um, and then the bird actually asked the owner for the other bird to call them back. So <laughs> and then when they get the photo, they talk to each other. So they came to some in interesting conclusion. One is that houses with parrots who talk on the phone usually end up getting a lot of mysterious packages from Amazon full of crackers. I could have expected that. But well, yeah. they make they make the, the parrots that make the phone calls, they feel less isolated and they're more engaged in social behavior like preening and singing. <laughs> The birds really need to talk to other birds to do that. The, the thing that I think they're doing, they're covering it up for, is that these parrots gossip about their humans that, that they live with. You know, you that know, would the reason in a way. That would stand Sure. Or, or they gossip about other birds. You know, I can just see a bunch of female uh, parrots it, talking on the phone. First thing, you know, you know that male macaw. You know, they. I saw him doing strange things with a feather duster. I don't know what he was doing. <laughs> and then the male. You know, the males do the same thing. You know, they 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 know that that female parent over there. She's sitting on fake eggs only because she wants the insurance deduction. So oh. you know, I think <clears throat> this is this is not a good thing. Um, here's another thing that's so. Here's some good news. Now after we get through the bad news, and this is. Karen, Karen spent much of her life in Michigan, so we got a Michigan story for Karen here. The Burger King franchise, the major Burger King franchisee in Michigan, just closed 26 locations, closed them, laid everybody off, mostly in Metro Detroit. Uh, so a company by the name of Stizzy, S-T-I-I-Z-Y. Have you heard of them, Karen? Never heard of them. Okay, nope. I'll tell you what. They're a they're a cannabis brand in um, in Michigan. I didn't know that marijuana was legal in Michigan. Yep. Apparently it is. Yeah. <clears throat> so Stizzy has offered to hire every single Burger King employee who was laid off. Every single one. What a great what a great thing to do. That's a great thing I, to do. Yeah, John. Now, I I know there there has to be an ulterior motive, right? And there is. If you think about it, if you work at Burger King, you know an awful lot of people who smoke marijuana, especially the people that come in and order the triple whoppers and an extra order of fries, um, <laughs> you know, at two o'clock in the morning. You yep. know that they're good marijuana customers. So just call up all those people, invite them to your new job over at Stizzy's. Right. Um, That's another thing that stands the reason, Paul and Karen, right? Yeah. Yeah. There you go. There very you logical. go. Very logical. 
What's the most popular brand of marijuana in uh, Michigan, Karen? Time's oh, up. Yeah, I know. Time's, <laughs> Time's up. It's Kalamadoobies. Kalamadoobies. <laughs> All right, let's see. Do I want to do this story? Yeah, I'll do this story real quick here. So the the or the moon. This is this is scary, actually. You know, going back out into space for a second here. Scientists have just told us that the moon is pulling away from Earth. Believe it or not, they measure it, and the moon is slowly but surely moving away from Earth. Why? It's afraid of what's going to happen in the next election. That's what I think. But actually, <laughs> what it's doing is it's the gravity. Um, it has to do with the gravity, obviously, of, of the two bodies, but also because Earth is spinning slower than it did, uh, you know, millennials ago. Millenniums, not millennials are people, millenniums. So this drift is taking place, and uh, NASA says that it's moving, uh, it's because we're the, the Earth is spinning slower. Now, they didn't say why. Uh, my guess is because we're gaining weight constantly. So, you know, it's got to be, <laughs> you know, it's like a, like, like when you try to start your car and the battery's dead. Um, they've estimated that the moon is pulling away from Earth an average of 1.5 inches per year, which, wow. which is like every eight years it pulls a foot away. Now that's a, that's a sizable amount that pulls a foot away from us every eight years. Um so they 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 contacted Elon Elon Musk, whose rocket just blew up, and he says, "Oh, now you tell me, you know, I'm trying to get to, to <laughs> I'm trying to get to the moon, and now you're telling me the moon is moving. I can't hit a moving target. Come on, give me a break." Yeah. And on that cool. note, yeah, I, I hate to give Elon Musk a break, but I will. Um, so <laughs> I think we're gonna move on to what in the world of sports with John Denala. Boy, I hope I got my sports notes here. So uh, every week on what in the world we we uh, uh, after we do, we do the news we we turn to John, uh, my old friend from college, the um, um, what in the world of sports. I asked John to find find us some unusual sports uh, to talk about that fit with the theme of what in the world, real sport, sometimes strange, always funny. Okay, and John always manages to find a good one. I ask him sometimes to find sports that we can compete in. Uh, sometimes we can, sometimes we can't. I think this one this week is one that we might be able to handle. Even Karen, even Karen. Oh, even be, me? I think yeah, all three yeah. of us could do along it. Yes, with, I, agree. I agree. Along with our listeners out there. So, so John, why don't you introduce the sport while I line up your photos for you? Sounds good, Paul. So uh, this week, ladies and gentlemen, our sport is a sport that has the word ball in it. Oh, it's a good sign. It is certainly not unusual. What the name is. Okay. Introducing stool ball. <laughs> oh. uh, wait. And that's it for this week for what in the world of sports? <laughs> stool. No, wait, wait, wait a second. Boy, stool hold your horses. Ball, really? Hold your, stool ball? Hold your horses. Okay. <laughs> now listen, with a with a name like that, you can think of several different things. Let's, Boy, leave I am. let's leave it at that leave it at that okay okay but stool ball is an actual sport that dates back to the 15th century wow and originated in sussex and in, in southern england okay it is what is called a quote traditional striking and fielding sport unquote and oh. could be an ancestor to the popular english sport of cricket Oh, a game really? that it resembles wow. in some respects and also resembles some aspects of baseball, softball, and rounders. The wow, sport, really? Okay. Yeah, the sport has been called cricket in the air. And cricket in the air. Cricket I've in seen the air. That. Okay, now there is evidence ends that, badly for the cricket. <laughs> there is evidence that it was played by milkmaids who use their milking stools as a wicket and the milk bowl or the milk bowl, which is also called the biddle was used as a bat. Hence the sport was also known as biddle battle. Not to confuse you. Okay. But 
stoolball is one of the earliest sports, earliest recorded sports in which women could participate in. So mm. <laughs> I, I happened to find an, a really old drawing of milkmaids. That's what John said. I, I, I didn't believe a milkmaids playing stoolball. So this, this illustration, the stool is like the backstop in baseball or the, yes. the what do they call it in cricket? The, the, the wicket? I think that's what it's called. Yeah, the wicket, yes. Yeah. Yeah, uh -huh. the thing that the batter stands in front of. Right. The, so, so they're not picking up the stool and whacking each other with it or whacking the ball. Uh, no. The stool is like the target. And here's these four girls throwing the ball back and forth. Now, they don't. They don't have the 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 what the the, the uh, implement for batting. Uh, that uh, the, uh, the other photos I have comes up with that. So sure. go ahead, John. So, but this is a real thing. Really, there's your stool. There's the girls playing milkmaids. Um, look at the nice hairdos they have, by the way. Karen. Oh, they're adorable. <laughs> oh, and Karen, then, and Karen. Oh, anyway, well, Karen, this is for you now. Okay. There is a national stoolball association it was formed it was formed later than you what you see these folks participating in it was formed in 1979 now the game wow. now the game was officially recognized as a sport by the governing sport body in england which is called the sports council and that took place many many years after this in 2008 um the national Stoolball Association then changed its name to Stoolball England in 2010. And that association, if you will, is the national governing body for Stoolball England. Wow. So it gets a specific so association to association. Right, right. Wow. Now, now, the game's national popularity uh, from the middle and then later ages uh, faded in, in, into the 1960s, but then there was a rebirth, and it still today is being played, obviously, and it's played at a local league level in Sussex, Kent, Surrey, and the Midlands, where teams can be men's, women's, or mixed. Wow! So, so for those of you who uh, who need a reason to follow us on on YouTube, <laughs> we've had I've had some pictures, some some older pictures, pictures dating back to the early 1900s, I would think, black and white, showing uh, women at that time playing stoolball in long skirts. Um, a lot of old drawings of of uh, stoolball being played. So now we've got the modern version, and and these these women look like they're uh, pitching fast and swinging hard at this game. Well, um, it, right. And initially, it was more uh, to be viewed as being not so much competitive. But as time did go on, uh, again, it became a little bit more uh, competitive and a little bit more um, you know athletic. So. But that's enough for history. Let's get to the current rules. Oh, yeah. Okay. So the bowling of the ball and stool ball is done underarm. So the throwing motion is underarm. Mm. And it's from an area called the crease, which is 10 yards from the bats from the batsman's wicket. And the right, ball well, used to be the stool, right? Right, used to be the right stool. exactly. Okay. It's taking the place of that. But yeah. the ball, so the ball reaches the batsman at full speed. And it's close. That's close. That's close. And, that's nothing like fast pitch softball or baseball. And as you can see, look how strange it is. I mean, basically, it's a square piece of wood that's, you know, at, at a person's yeah. shoulder, you know, height, if you will. And it's fastened yeah, to yeah. close. Oh, and the, the, the bats the the thing that they hit the ball with are not that big they're not they're more like giant um ping pong paddles well i'll, I'll give you a different view paul or a similar oh, view. okay yeah okay. the bowler attempts to hit the wicket with the ball and the batsman defends it using a bat get ready for this shaped like a frying pan oh yeah of Ooh. course I, I, that's right that's it that's exactly what it looks like a frying pan you're right so the batsman scores i'm hungry well, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm always hungry. Wait, the bat, 
the batsman scores what is called a runt by running between the wickets or hitting the ball to the boundary in a similar way to cricket. Wow. A ball hit over the boundary counts for four runs, and if it hits the ground before reaching the boundary or count or, or before reaching the boundary, um, it counts for six runs. And again, it, it, it's if it lands beyond the boundary, uh, well, excuse me, it accounts for six runs if it lands beyond the boundary upon the contact with the ground. So it's all like one continuous motion. Okay. Uh, fielders attempt to catch the ball or outrun the batsman by hitting the wicket with the ball before the batsman returns from his run. Yeah, it sounds like crazy. It's, yeah. it's an intense sport, actually. It really is. I guess so. Yeah. Now it sounds it sounds like it'd be a perfect sport for seniors. It's just like baseball, but you get at least a stool to sit on when you get tired of standing waiting for the ball to come to you in the out. Oh, oh definitely. Yeah. I, I like that idea. I don't want to play pickleball. Stool ball for me. Right. Uh, I mean, it's a little bit of you know, down. Yeah. Sure. You wow. got to be able to rest. You got to be able to rest. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, what a great sport. This, this actually sounds uh, almost interesting uh, as opposed to some of the other ones. <laughs> Something that we could even, you know, sponsor a team, the the what in the world uh, stool ball team. Um, so, so a lot, a lot of interesting photos here. I had one thing that I wanted to mention here, and this was a rhyme. This is from 1648. Uh, it was so popular back then that this guy, Robert Herrick in 1648 wrote this rhyme to, that, that apparently the, the women used as a cheer, uh, for stoolball. I want to read for those of you who aren't on YouTube, I'll read it for you real quick. Uh, at stoolball, Lucia, let us play. For sugar cakes and wine, or for a tansy, let us pay the loss or thine or mine. If thou, my dear, a winner be at trundling of the ball, the wager shalt have and me and my misfortunes all. But if, my sweetest, I shall get, then I desire but this, that likewise I may pay my bet and have for all a kiss. Hey! Oh. That sounds like the sport for me. Well, you know, it's interesting, Paul. But it's interesting you brought that that poem up because as I was doing research, yeah, stoolball was really getting underway. It was always looked at as being like a courting activity between men and women. Wow, that was part of the uh, attraction, so to speak, about the sport when it got started. Was that there was a romance. And, yeah, you know that kind of a, that kind of approach to taking it. It wasn't just uh, you know, hitting the ball with the wicket or whatever, or hitting the ball, yeah. with, you know, with the bat. It's yeah, uh, yeah. It's, it's it's really who uh, wouldn't who wouldn't it, want to date a milkmaid? I mean, you know. Well, you, you know, you, you that's another thing. It goes to how you know what you perceive as what is a milkmaid, or you know, what, sure. what you perceive as a stool. Let's you know, it's all perception <laughs> in that sense. But <laughs> what an interesting sport! I think I was glad I was. It able turned to out to be turned out to be very interesting, John. Um, so, so as I as I mentioned, thank you, thank you. Though another great sport there. Um, so, so this <laughs> normally. Um, you know, John, as I mentioned, John and I were, were our fraternity brothers. We went to college together. Uh, we participated in a lot of sports, many that we don't remember anymore. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you want to forget. As hard as I look, John, I could not find us um, playing stoolball. However, John is a John is a smart guy. And, um, you know, he, he kept he, he held back on us here. Uh, John liked my idea, that idea about uh, stoolball being added to baseball. And he's been tinkering in his home workshop. You didn't know John had a home workshop where he does tinkering. So John actually made a stool to go along with, to, to, to be used in baseball. I want to show you that stool here. So here's John's stool. Oh, design. wonderful. <laughs> Doesn't well, that look nice? Well, so, I'll tell so you what, you know, it, it's taken me a lot of a, a lot of help from a lot of people to be able to do that. But I, I think it's kind of the idea, you know, when you're in Rome, do what the Romans do. So when it comes to baseball season, you kind of do what, you know, baseball is. And, you know, and I really go, yeah, when it, when it comes to baseball, you sit on a baseball. And that's what this is. It's a it looks like two giant halves of a baseball. 
put together the even he's even got the bat. I love the bats in the back to for support. Bats for the armrest. Now, John, this is not all that John did because he he gets so comfortable on the baseball field in his baseball chair, his stool, that he made one for home. And I want you, I want you to see this one here. So here's his home stool. Look at that. Isn't wow. that a beautiful, uh, uh, hey. baseball mitt um, uh, chair and an ottoman or a footstool made out of a in the shape of a baseball by yeah. the way yeah go ahead go ahead well, i was gonna say by the way that <laughs> both of those are available on amazon which is where i found them <laughs> <laughs> but you know it was, I can't, it, are real, those are real items real items well it was it was hard for me to get it past the net right i mean she didn't really quite <laughs> understand but it was kind of more of the thing. Well, you can have that as long as you're in the corner and you're not in like the middle of the room. And, you know, <laughs> there you people, go. <laughs> people will just say, "Oh, there's John in the corner again." Just kind of leave him to his own, uh, his I'll own tell you lines what. over there, right? I think I think that's the perfect shape to to toss a butt into. Is a, a I was like that in my house. Yeah, I think I oh. think I, I, I it's it's yeah. a really clever idea. So. Uh, all right, well, John, the man who's full of clever ideas, thanks again for uh, that You're great. You're very welcome, Paul and Karen. Very welcome. Very welcome. All right, so when when uh, what in the world of sports is over, that means it's time for Bluff the Co-host, everybody's favorite weird news game. Uh, it's an easy game to play. I have three stories similar to the ones I've been telling this af afternoon. One big difference, those were all real. Um, these stories may be real. They may be a bluff, hence the name. Uh, it's up to you, Karen, and and John to decide which ones are real, which ones are bluff. Gambling is allowed, uh, so place your bets. John and Karen, place your hands on the buzzers. Let's get right to story number one. Okay. Alaska is having a problem with its moose population. Last week, a moose walked into a hospital waiting room and had to be chased out by security. This week, a moose walked into a grocery store and had to be um, in Juneau and proceeded to go up and down the aisles sampling cereals, vegetables, ground meat, and anything else that looked good. Unfortunately, the small grocery had no security guard on duty, but it did have a smart customer who noticed the moose lingering in the ice cream aisle. Figuring it couldn't hurt, she picked up a carton of Moose Tracks ice cream, pulled off the top, and held it up for the moose. The moose started licking, the woman started walking, and before you knew it, the moose was outside where it was given the carton to finish. Animal <laughs> experts say any ice cream would have worked, but why mess with success? Okay, so story from Alaska. A moose wanders into a grocery store and is led out by a smart lady using moose tracks ice cream. Real or bluff? Karen, we'll start with you. Well... You know, if she was uh, a little old lady like my mom used to be, that's something my mother would have done. So I'm going to say it's true. Okay. With moose tracks? Yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> All right. Karen says that's a real story. John, how about you? Well, I agree with Karen. I think it's a real story. I mean, first of all, I don't know a person that doesn't like ice cream. Now, <laughs> moose being, being part of the animal kingdom, right? Um, I don't, th I don't think animals would not be interested in ice cream either. So, uh, and the moose tracks just is icing on the cake, so to speak. So oh, ice cream on the cake. There you go. There you go. So all right. So, so, so John says humans have a tongue. Moose have a tongue. They, that's we right. all like ice cream. That's <laughs> <right>. <laughs> so John says that story is real. Karen agrees. That story is real. Let's check with the judges and the judges say, sorry. That's a bluff. There's no, there's no such thing. Moose, it, moose like an ice cream. Come on. Now, wait a second. Now, is <laughs> why there, not? Yeah, why not? It's right. And wait a minute. Is there a caveat that it was a different kind of ice cream, like the moose-like no. chocolate ice cream? No, or no, no. Like that? The story's completely no, made no, up. <laughs> hey, Karen, we should, we should look into this. I, I'm, you know, I'm, ooh, I'm ooh, okay, okay. I'm filing a protest. I, I, He's I, really I, protesting there. Oh man, filed a protest with the commissioner of uh, what in the world sports? We'll be back next week with some information about this. I'm, I'm. I, know, I got a better idea. Oh, you do the defend. You're the defendant here. <laughs> okay, well, let's. <laughs> If you can't figure it out from that discussion, the score is zero to zero. 
let's get right to uh, story number two. Okay. A traditional annual activity in Japan is something called the Crying Sumo Festival. Babies under the age of one are dressed in tiny sumo wrestler outfits, and one parent carries them into a sumo ring where they face another parent holding a similarly dressed baby. When the referee gives the signal, the parents must make faces and try to make their own baby cry. The first baby to start bawling is declared the winner. It is believed this was actually developed by board doctors who wanted to hear babies cry in order to test their lungs, and it became so popular that it is now a pop, uh, popular annual ritual in many small towns. Get your crying sumo outfits on Amazon and start practicing your ugly faces. Just don't do the crying on an airplane. Okay, the crying sumo festival in Japan where you make faces at babies to make them cry for cash and prizes. John, what do you say, real or bluff? I'm going to say it's real. And uh, I have a reason for this. Um, I think that we might have even did a story, not about this making babies cry, but with sumo wrestlers, something I remember with like children or infants being involved. Now, I could be off on that, but I think uh -huh. that there was a story that we did something similar to that. And so I'm just wow. going to take this a step further in the sense that, okay, so, so children or infants in a ring, you know, dressed as sumo wrestlers, um, trying to make them cry. I'm going to say it's, I'm going to say it's real. Okay. John says crying baby sumo wrestlers is real. Karen, how about you? <laughs> you're thinking hard on this one. Long I'm trying to figure here. out when we did this this story. Um, <laughs> um I'm it just is, gonna disagree, just why not? <laughs> oh, okay, okay. <laughs> just to be disagreeable. Karen says it's a bluff. John says it's real. Let's check with the judges. And uh Karen, don't be disagreeable, but that is a real story. Did we John, do, did you I, do a story on we, babies and no, sumo? I've done stories about sumo wrestling. I don't know. I don't remember the the child sumo. Okay, connection. all right. Uh, but this this was a new story off the off the newswire in Japan. Okay, so it they, it just was resurrected because they had to cancel it during COVID. <laughs> <So> <laughs> they're all excited now. They can do this again. All it right, so let's. Things. <laughs> Honest to God. Let's check the scoreboard. John is ahead one to nothing. Okay. Can't, but points are doubled in round number three. So there's a chance for Karen to catch up. Let's get right to it with uh, story number three. Now that airlines are charging high fees for carry-on bags, many passengers are wearing three, four, and even more layers of clothing while they fly. That works, but what about shoes? A man in Montana solved this problem, but it may not be for everyone. After putting on his cowboy boots, he took a second pair of boots, turned them upside down, and tucked them into the pair he had on. He says it helps to wear baggy pants over them. He then attached his loafers to the brim of his cowboy hat. Hats are allowed and travel for free as long as they fit in the overhead compartment. Finally, he got a pair of those slippers that look like gloves with little sleeves for each toe and wore them as gloves on his hand. Gloves fly free too. It took him a while to get through security, but he saved enough money to afford to eat at an airport restaurant without the slippers on his feet, of course. Okay, so the man who wore, seems like four pairs of shoes on a flight in order to beat the fee for carry-on luggage. What do you say, Karen, real or bluff? Golly, um, I think you have to wear all those clothes because it's cold on an airplane today, but I'm going to say this is a bluff. Oh, Doesn't Karen says it's a bluff. Okay, John, how about you? Well, <laughs> I think this is a bluff, and uh, I'm just going to throw this out there. Uh, this, If this person did this, he's a knucklehead. <laughs> I mean, what's what's the idea of trying to get? I can understand getting around the fees, right? 
But I said that a little bit extreme. I mean, I know that's it's a subject. It's a good subject for our show, right? <laughs> but but if it, if a person really did this, he's a knucklehead. I'm I'm going I'm going on the limb on that. He's a knucklehead. Deny your hate mail to John Danilo, care of <laughs> care of the world with Paul C. Okay, all right, John. <laughs> so John, what is let me make sure I got this straight. So John said it's a bluff, and Karen said it's a bluff, right? Both, yeah, both of you said it's a bluff. Check with the judges, and the judges say you're both right. That was a bluff. Oh, but God. oh I guarantee one of our listeners is thinking, you know, I could do that. <laughs> well, that <might laughs> because, be because as John says, we have knuckleheads for our listeners. <laughs> well, I've, I've, I, I'm just putting it out there. I mean, uh, just putting it out there. A good old stoolball John, as we're going to call him now. So <laughs> that's the end of What in the World for this week. I'm your host, Paul Sebron. Thank you so much for joining us uh, in the future on YouTube. On uh, Please, please, if you like us on YouTube, follow us. Uh, do all that good stuff so that we know that you are uh, listening. And 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 we we thank you so much for doing that. I want to thank our producer, uh, media mogul at nuclearradio.net and, and wonderful co-host, Karen Hale. Thank you so much for everything you do for us Absolutely. at What in the World. And for all of the podcasts on newclevelandradio.net, everybody check them out. Last but not least, my old buddy John. A fun show for us today, John. Thank you so much for everything you bring. Uh, you're welcome. It's a great show. And um, again, you just keep coming up with those like those three things at the end of the show. I mean, it, it makes you think. It makes you it think. It certainly does. Give gives you something to think about for the rest of the week. All right. On that note, we will say bye-bye till next week. Go Calves. Go Calves. Go Calves, right.